Okay, John chapter 13, and what we're doing, if you haven't been here, you weren't here last week, we introduced a three-week series that we're doing called uh, Life Together in Community in the Image of the Trinity. And the idea behind this is that God is someone not to avoid this idea of who he is in his nature as triune, three persons in one, though our minds can't fully get, our, uh, get around that. Um, that's something to dive into and understand that this is our God, this is who he is, and then to say, how does that affect the way that that we live? How does that affect the way that we look at life overall? And so last week we looked at, about, looked at how life together is community living the eternal life that God gave us, okay? And so um, what I want to say here is just that John 17, Jesus gives this mystical picture as he gets ready to go to the cross and he says, hey, um, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world began. He gives us this idea of this relationship that was eternal. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in love, the only God that could enable love to exist because he is three and he is one. He doesn't need to create us at all, but he creates us out of an overspilling of his love. He didn't have to um, be dependent upon us, and so he can be love forever, and he can be the one who invites us into his love, and that is eternal life. You know, when some people talk about eternal life many times as Christians. I don't know if you have uh, seen this, but we talk about eternal life in the way it's like, well, go to an event, accept Jesus, or pray a prayer, and then you're going to go to heaven one day. But really, when you look at the Bible, when it uses the word eternal life, it's talking more about a quality of life, a real life that we experience from the time that we come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ into our whole life. And really, this life is practice in this eternal life. And Jesus is praying that for his disciples in John 17. He's saying, I want you to practice this eternal life. I want them to be one as you, Father, and I are one. And so that's what Jesus did in John 17. He invited us into and prayed for us to experience the very life of God. The life together we experience is supposed to be more than just the American dream. Though, on one level, that's a fine dream to have. It's supposed to be the very life of God. And then at the end of that sermon, we talked a little bit last week about how the life of God is expressed in the first person of the Trinity, and that is the Father. Uh, God is a father foundationally. Somehow in the Trinity, he is the foundational character, the foundational person of God, and that he then is the one who loves the son continually. And that's good news for us because if the father loves the son and then we come into the son through faith in Jesus Christ, that means the father loves you. That means that if the father never changed in his love for the son, then the father's never going to change in his love for you. That if the father says, I'm pleased in my son, then the father says, I'm pleased with you. Okay, isn't that wonderful, wonderful good news? Okay, and that's who God is. He is a father. And so I want to just kind of, again, give you, a, for, for all of you, this is the week where we look at how God is somebody who teaches us visually as well. And so I want to give you a little visual of this idea of the Trinity. If we pop that up here on the screen, um, just helps me a little bit. I'm a visual learner. Uh, I need this help. I need pictures. I need videos. I need all this kind of stuff. And so here's just a picture of the triunity of God where he is father and he loves us. And then he creates a family. The church is a family. Jesus said, my family are the ones who do my will. And then we're to love other people as well. And then today we're going to look at how Jesus is the son of God. And then he comes as the king to serve us. 
And then because he serves us, we are then called to be a family, a church of servants and serve the least of these as well. And then finally that um, God is Holy Spirit and Tucker will cover that next week. So that's kind of the idea of the triunity of God. And the beautiful thing about all of this is what someone named Paul David Tripp said. He said, the Trinity is the ultimate community functioning in perfect unity and love without argument, debate, or disagreement. Now, moms, today, who, can you say that would be a beautiful community to have in our home, right? You know, perfect, perfect unity without argument, debate, or disagreement. Like, the first verse that parents and moms often teach their kid is what? Philippians 2.14, do all things without arguing and complaining. If not, take that, put it in your back pocket, take it home with you, teach that to your kids, right? My daughter's right here, and I taught her that as, as, as a verse early on, and all I'd have to say sometimes is, hey, What's Philippians 2.14? And she's like, do not argue or complain about anything, right? So just take that home. Do that today if you haven't done it yet. Moms, just a little help for you. Um, this community of the Trinity in its perfection and our God who we're looking at in this series, though, calls us then to live this life out. And he wants us to actually create little pictures of the reality of his nature. Okay, um, I, I want to use another quote here by a guy named John Tyson because I think it's super helpful. He has this concept called creative minorities, and that's what he talks about the church or little community groups or Calvary communities. And he said this, a creative minority is a Christian community in a web of stubbornly loyal relationships knotted together in a living network of persons in a complex and challenging cultural setting who are committed to practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of the world, okay? That's a big quote, lots of words, but he's saying that there it should be and there could be an identifiable group of people that like the Father, Son, and Spirit are identified. This is our network of relationships and we're loyal to one another because we're family and then we have the reality of living in this world that's complex and difficult, but we are different. We look different. We serve different. We're the image of the Son lived out in this life. And so today we're going to look at this idea that the Son's service to us makes us a family of servants. Okay, that's the idea today. We looked at the Father last week. We're going to look at the Son today. And so I'm going to start with looking at uh, the fact that life together in the image of the Trinity is a life being served by the Son. So turn, like I said, to John 13, and I'm going to read the first few verses. John 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, 
If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Which is this, Peter's just great, isn't he? Um, well, this picture of Jesus in John 13 is a picture of Jesus that uh, people typically like, right? He's the servant Jesus who gets down and washes his disciples' feet. He's humble. He's a leader that serves. It's a beautiful picture. Um, and, and maybe you're here today, and I, I don't know, there's, there's lots of us who come to church every week or, and whatnot, and um, we have a clear picture of Jesus in some sense, but I, I think this passage presents a picture of Jesus, and then we have to ask the question, really, who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus, and why is it important to us that he's down on the ground with this wash basin serving his disciples by washing their feet? I mean, and why did he do that? In our culture, in the world today, I mean, we may be a small pocket that's a little more defined in our understanding of Jesus, but many people have a picture of Jesus that's all over the place. Like Buddhism teaches that Jesus is not God, the Son, as I've said, with this Trinity, but he's just a great teacher that you can listen to. Um, Hinduism, he's maybe an avatar, someone who shows up as an example of God. He, he just like this, this picture of God, this, this, this idea, so to speak, uh, not a personal God that saves you. Um, Islam, Jesus is a prophet like Muhammad or uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. He's maybe a lesser God or an angel or Mormons. He's a child of uh, Elohim, one of the gods, and uh, was the brother of Lucifer. Or um, here, this one I, I, I love, and that is Scientology. Jesus was a false memory implanted into humans as a result of the Xenu space opera, and Christianity evolved as a result of an R6 implant. I mean, that's pretty interesting. I mean, I'm not saying it's right, but it's an interesting view of Jesus, okay? Um, so, there is a range of understanding who Jesus was, and even when Jesus was on this earth as expressed in the Gospels, like the Gospel of John, we see he gives different pictures of himself, right? Um, and, and our doctrine, our understanding of who Jesus is, is that he's not like 50-50 God and man. He's 100% God, 100% man, and that's shown up all throughout his ministry, right? He's the lion. He's the lamb. He's somebody who loves little children but then whips people out of the temple. He uh, is somebody who calls us family as Christians, as his people. But then at the same time, he seems to ignore his own family when they come to minister to him. And so there's all these pictures of Jesus that we get in the Bible, especially in the Gospel of John. And, and some of them are things that we can readily get on board with, like this picture here in John 13, and some of them are a little bit scary for us, and honestly, we just don't like those pictures of Jesus, okay? We want one kind of Jesus and not the other kind of Jesus, and so we have to ask the question, who is Jesus? As we watch him here in John 13 serve his disciples and wash their feet, like, who is this guy anyway? Why does this matter? And I don't have time to flip to a lot of scripture, but I will say this, whether it's Colossians chapter one, whether it's John chapter one, whether it's Ephesians chapter one, we get pictures in the New Testament that are pretty powerful about who this Jesus really is. Colossians one, for example, says that he is the image of the invisible God and that all things were made for him and to him and through him. Okay, so uh, imagine this, Let, let's just dwell on who Jesus is for a minute, that he's, uh, we've got the picture of him serving, but Jesus is the image of the invisible God. 
He's the icon, so to speak. You know, when you get on your phone and you click on the little uh, square or little rectangle thing, that's an icon that then takes you into the reality behind that app that's been created for you. And Jesus is the icon of God. He's everything that is God that you enter in through him. Hebrews chapter one will say that he is the radiance of God's image and that he's pressed down into the clay like a Roman signet ring. This is who God is. And why is that important? It's important because in the reality of life that is difficult and challenging in the cultural setting that we all find ourselves in, in the chaos of moms trying to raise kids, dads trying to raise kids, all of us, the the things that happen all around us all the time, um, Jesus holds all things together. He is the one who is in charge and powerful. He is God, okay? And so we must not lose that as we start with the idea that Jesus is going to be a servant. First, we have to understand who he is. He's the king of the entire universe. He's the king of the entire universe. That when you go to pick up your kids from school and you see, like, um, like I, I came out here the other week with our Calvary Christian School and there was uh, kids running around, there's cars going around, people are playing, throwing footballs, all this kind of stuff. We had chapel this week for these kids. I watched these kids and, and they're just like wild in a sense and just, um, you know, they're well behaved but they're just full of energy and they're scraping their knees and all this stuff is happening. I'm just wondering like, man, this is crazy. It's amazing that people don't get hurt more often at this school. It's amazing that my kids survived uh, all the years of their life, and now I've got a 19-year-old and an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old. I don't know how they survived with all the crazy stuff that went on. But they did because Jesus Christ is the king of the universe, and he holds it all together. He sustains it all. And it's this Jesus that we find here in John chapter 13, stooping down and serving his disciples. Imagine that. Right? It's often been said, like, how do, we, how do we put this together? Like, how do we look at Jesus this way? Um, let's come up with an analogy, kind of like people do with the Trinity. Like, is uh, Jesus, like, when you're the, the President of the United States becomes your plumber, okay? But here's the problem with that. That's not high enough. That's not a good enough analogy because Jesus himself is the analogy, Okay, he's the king of the universe stooping down to serve you and God's people through this picture we have here in John chapter 13. And I I do want to look a little bit at each verse here real quick in John 13. So pay attention uh, to what he says first. I'm just going to trace back through it. First of all, it says in verse 1 that Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father and he loved his own, and he loved them to the end. And then in verse two, it says, or verse three, excuse me, it says that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and going back to God, rose and then he served. And so the first thing I wanna say here from this passage is this, that um, we're gonna talk today about how Jesus' kingly service to us makes us a family that should serve one another and serve others in this world. But the first thing you have to see in this passage is that Jesus was secure in his identity, that he had a father who he was secure with, loved by, going to. And in doing that, in understanding that identity, Jesus was able then to serve. And the first thing I wanna say here to you this morning is that you have to understand how much Jesus Christ has served you as the king, as God, before you can have any motivation to ever serve him. 
okay? Jesus realizes there's no foot washer, which was a standard thing for the meal here for Jesus's day with his disciples. And so he stoops down, he lowers himself down, and he says he's going to wash feet. But he does that out of a sense that the Father has already served him forever in eternity. Let me ask you a question this morning. Like, do you realize how much God has served you? Do you realize how much God has done for you? Like the Psalm says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who heals your diseases, who forgives your sins. God has done so much through the person of Jesus Christ in serving you. You see, Jesus is the one who is loved by the Father as you're loved by the Father, and Jesus is the one who has served you through his death and resurrection on the cross. Now, I, 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 wanna, I wanna remind you of that at the beginning of our sermon because that's where we should begin. The gospel is not that you serve, okay? So churches are famous for this, right? Like, I mean, and I'm just as guilty as anyone. Like, because there's always needs in the family. Just like in your family, there are needs that have to be done. Someone's gotta mow the lawn, someone's gonna do the dishes, someone has to do all this stuff. There are needs in a church family that have to be done, and churches are famous for it. Like, hey, we need you to sign up for these 20 things to do, all right? And here's our announcement list, and we kinda did that this morning a little bit too, that's fine. Um, so we, churches are famous for that. But I know that all of us here would not want you to do things out of an identity of trying to um, receive or prove yourself to God. We first want you to know how much that God has served you through Jesus Christ. Because the gospel begins with the reality that there's nothing that you can do to please God. Okay? That's why Jesus had to come. That's why Jesus had to take on this position of a servant, this reality of a servant. Peter does what many of us do in this passage. He says, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. Right? And, and don't you think that it's a very difficult thing for all of us in our culture in particular, I think, to, uh, as independent people, to uh, admit that we have the need for Jesus to serve us. Right? Even in religious environments and church environments, many times what we want to do is we want to show up and show how good we are, right? We want to show how well put together our lives are because we know that in religious environments, people are judging us by the way that we look, our kids look, our families are, the way that things take place. Mothers, you've bore a lot of that pressure many times, I know. This is why people don't do hospitality many times because they don't want people to come see that their house is not perfectly clean. <laughs> People don't live in community, why? Because people don't want to see, want people to see that they are dependent creatures who have needs, who have sin, who are messy in life. And so for all of us, we can identify with the words of Peter where he says, no way, Lord, you're not gonna serve me. You're the Lord, I'm a servant, yes, in one sense, and I know my place, but it, that, that also comes out of a little misplaced version of ourselves that we're okay without Jesus serving us. Now, I want to ask you the question this morning, are you serving and in, in, in like Peter, trying to prove your independence to God, or are you willing to come to a place where you realize that the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, stooped down, he came and died for your sins, and that he actually takes on your sin for you, and he washes you. I mean, and, and that's an ongoing thing. You see in this passage, G Peter then is like, okay, well, like, my whole head, Lord, my whole body, wash me. And Jesus says, no, if you're already clean, you just need your feet washed. In other words, he's saying, listen, 
You come into a relationship with me. You're my child. I've served you. And that's going to be a continual thing. So even this morning, we all come here to this weekly gathering, okay? We come to another Mother's Day, which is a yearly thing, and we think like, man, I should be beyond this. Didn't you think this about your own growth in Christ when you're younger? Like, I'm gonna get to this plateau place where I'm gonna be, and nobody will have to serve me. But all I've experienced over and over again in my life is that as I've grown to know Christ more, I see the gap between the reality of who he is as the Lord of the universe and who I am apart from him in my sin. And then my temptation is to despair and say, I'm never going to get by that gap. And so then I have to come every single week and say, Lord, serve me again. I need you. And so maybe some of us sit here this morning and we're just thinking like, man, I wish I would have gotten past this area of life already but what Jesus wants is for you to say, I'm, I'm ready, Lord, for you to serve me this morning. I'm ready for you to point out the gaps, point out the areas that I have deficiencies, and through your cross, once again, wash me, cleanse me, and help me to know that you are with me despite my sin. So um, it's, it's hard to admit that you have to have Jesus to serve you. You have to have him wash your feet. And then the other thing that's hard is like, we, we also want Jesus to serve us a particular way. Like we want Jesus to serve us in a way that we like. So um, how many of you moms, for example, have had your kids tell you how you need to make the meal for them? Has that ever happened to any of you? Um, how many of you husbands have been part of the problem and complained about the meal after it's come? You can put your hand up or not, it's okay. Um, but here's the reality. Someone serves you. They, they prepare an entire meal. And by the way, I don't mean to be like genderist there. Like guys cook too. It's okay, right? Um, but um, someone serves you an entire meal and prepares it for you. And then you're just like, well, I would have liked it if there's a little less spice and a little less sauce and, you know, whatever it may be. That is what we do. And we laugh about that when it's about us, right, and our relationships, because then we, um, we get frustrated, we get angry, we have a little fight or something like that, we work it out. But it's funny with us, but it's not funny with the king of kings. We say, okay, Lord, you can serve me. So take care of that. On Sunday morning, for an hour, I'll give you that time. Okay, Lord, you can serve me, you can wash me. Maybe I'll also give you a little Bible study on Wednesday night, that time will be good. Okay, Lord, you can serve me, I'll even join a community and show up sometimes. I'll even do a quiet time, but please don't interrupt my meetings, my parenting, my sports schedule. Definitely not that. I need to watch the game tonight. The 76ers are on. I got to watch that. Don't make me hang out with people that are different than me, a diverse community where my needs are then going to be shown, my prejudices will come out, all these kind of things. Don't make me do that, Lord. That's not how I want to be served. But you see, the life that God calls us into is a life where we don't get to decide. While the picture is of Jesus serving us, he still is the king who serves us. And so, um, I, I don't know where you're at with this Jesus. Like, if he's ever served you, if you've ever come to the place where you realize, like, I need his forgiveness, his washing, his cleansing, or you're just here this morning, you're like, yeah, wash me again, Lord. So... Um, Ask yourself, ask yourself right now, what area of my life do I need to present to Jesus that I've been holding back from him 
and that I'm not willing to let him serve me in. Something else that I've been giving my time to. You see, that, that, is, that is one of those things where like, I don't let Jesus serve me because as he serves me, then he invites me into his service and then that changes everything about my life. So maybe there's something I've been holding back from Jesus. Okay, I want to press on a little bit and I wanna look at the next few verses in our second point, which is that our life together as a family of God's people in the image of Jesus, our servant king, is a life of humility that we now serve our king. So first, we gotta be served by Jesus, right? There's no proving to God how good we are, proving anything, but first we're served by him, and then read John chapter 13, verse 12 to 14 again. It says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? I mean, Jesus does this all the time, by the way, throughout the gospel, he's like, do you really get this? And we're like, yeah, yeah, I got this, Lord. Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This is where we connect everything like we've been trying to do in this idea of the Trinity and the image of God. God is, he does, he calls you who you are, and then you do. Okay, that's the idea. Don't get those mixed around. Don't start with doing, start with who God is, what he does, who he defines you to be, and then what you are to do. So this is where we're at. He says, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to do. So I wanna take us to the classic passage about this, and that is in Philippians chapter two, if you turn there, um, because this chapter is the most amazing picture of Jesus, I think, that we can get in regards to his humble service that will help us to also take our rightful place and do that too. Philippians 2, starting verse one, it says this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection, sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not look out only for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And... Being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. This classic and amazing passage about Jesus starts and, and it gives us idea again of the triune God, God the Son. It says that equality with God was not something for Jesus to be grasped. Now we think in, in one sense like we're trying to get something when we grasp at something. But the idea here is that Jesus was willing to relinquish something that, that he had because he had no need to hold it that he was being worshiped 24 seven by the angels in heaven in perfect communion with God the Father and the Spirit and he relinquished that, not the deity part, but he relinquished that experience and his rights in it so that he could come to this earth as a human creature to take on limits, 
All the limits that you have, that I have, that every day we feel in the stress points of our life, Jesus took those on. And he did that because the mission was worth it. He did that. Now, what, what I love about this passage is that, uh, as one man said, this is a, a picture of the stair step of humility. And, and I just want you to think with me a little bit because this is what happens. And again, I'm not preaching a Mother's Day sermon, but it just seems to all apply because uh, we're talking about the sun today and, and all moms love to talk about their kids, right? And so that's what we're doing. Um, we're talking about the sun, Jesus. And, and this also is a picture to me. Listen to the stair step that Jesus goes through in this passage. He starts as God. He humbles himself to, human, to be a human, first of all. Then he humbles himself to be a poor person in obscurity in a tiny corner of the Roman Empire. Palestine was not a big deal in the day of Jesus. And then he's humbled to let people misunderstand him, disrespect him, and treat him poorly, even his closest friends. And then he's humbled to be mocked and even tortured and then he's humbled to be killed by his creation, and not just killed by his creation, but then killed by his creation in the most humiliating form from where we get our word excruciating on the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus. That in the Roman day was the, the, the lowest of the low, the shameful of the shameful, that's what Jesus experienced. Think about that stair step that Jesus walks down from 100% pure deity to the shame of the cross. There's no illustration, like I said earlier, for that other than Jesus himself. And the other thing that I marvel about this is that this is where we get our idea of perfect leadership, right? Um, we think about leaders that we appreciate and that we care for and we love. And, and we think about people like King Arthur or King Aragorn. I love Lord of the Rings. Like King Aslan. Um, we think about all these things, we, and, and these are all childish pictures in one sense, but they give us this picture of a king who is humble, and that's what Jesus is. He's the perfect picture of that. And, and we then come to the place where we realize, like, this is not what we experience sometimes in our lives. Like, I, I, this past week, I've just realized that once again how weak and how poor my own leadership is of people. Right, whether it's my wife and kids or community groups or church or whatever, you just come to these realizations at times like, man, throughout the years, like there's been some good things, but I have not always been the greatest leader in Christ and I haven't pictured him the way that I should have. And, and it amazes me that Jesus could go humble, 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 keep going, and it was never too much for him, right? Because for me, it always gets to be a little bit too much, right? Uh, I'll tell you a little story of when my daughter was 10 years, nine years old, I think. Um, she, we were in Latvia um, celebrating New Year's Eve like you do, right? You go to Latvia to celebrate New Year's Eve. Um, and uh, we were there and she happened to, uh, the last night, this always happens, right? You know, with families, you know this. The last night, we're getting ready to fly out the next morning. It's like 11 o'clock. Someone's like, hey, let's go ice skating. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do it, but okay, we go ice skating. She falls over. She's wearing, the, they gave her this old pair of skates with like a really tight, like metal ankle bracelet or whatever. She falls over, breaks her leg, 
right that night. And then it's just like, oh no. And then it turns into this whole drama. We're like in some Russian speaking hospital. I'm just like, I don't know what you're saying. Can you please fix my daughter? <laughs> and um, we, we go back to England where we were living at the time. And it turns into something that I wasn't planning on at the time. We're like, I think it was like three, four weeks. I can't remember five weeks where basically she was in a cast and we had, a, uh, we had one bathroom in our thousand foot square, little like duplex that we lived in. And it was upstairs and it turned into this thing where like I worked from home and every day I would take her up like three or four times a day. And she's nine years old. She wasn't like five, you know, she wasn't four. So she's getting kind of like a decent sized young child over and over again, taking her upstairs, downstairs. And just like at a certain point, I'm just like, are you serious? Like this is just getting too much for me. I can't handle this. And this is my own daughter okay like come on um all I'm saying is like there are levels like dad will you make me some food dad will you take me to up to the bathroom dad will you like take me for like a walk outside I mean, whatever it's just like okay 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 and then my wife's like yeah I do that every single day <laughs> so here's the reality with Jesus's humility and his service to us it never was too much because his identity was king and servant out of his nature. And you, we wonder, why is it so much for us? Why is it so, so much for me to serve? Well, um, I also want to read one other passage. It gets at the heart of like uh, the way that we engage with this idea. So turn to Matthew 20, if you would, real quick. I'm going to read a few verses there. Um, Pastor Noah uh, read this passage in our staff devotion this week, and I was just like, oh, that's perfect it's, it, for so many reasons. Um, so sometimes service becomes too much for me, even though it's never too much for Jesus. The other thing here is this passage reveals something else. Look, then the mother of Jesus, Matthew 20, verse 20, 21, the mother, or excuse me, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, came up with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Wow, moms, isn't that like you? Like you're looking out for your son right there, right? Um, Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm able to drink? And they said to him, like Peter, I'd say, we're able. And he said, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those who, for whom it's been prepared by the Father. And here you get see the plot gets even thicker. And then when the 10 other disciples heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. And Jesus called them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, this passage is funny, right? You got the Mother's Day mother doing her thing. You got the guys, again, just kind of clueless, like Peter, saying, like, yeah, yeah, we can, we can bear your cup. And it's like, she's like, yeah, you are going to die, actually. <laughs> that's that's going to happen. But you still can't have these positions. And all of this reveals something that's going on in the hearts of both James and John and the other disciples and even the mother. And that is that what they want in their service and what happens when they try to serve reveals who they are. Okay. Philippians said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but what do we do? We have motives that are revealed, right? 
even the most pure of all servants, even the most motherly of mothers, even the most uh, fatherly of fathers, even the best and most obedient child often has motives that are revealed in the outcomes of our service. And so like sometimes this is the reality. No one's seeing me care for my children. No one's seeing me pray for um, our city. No one is seeing me do my ministry and my outreach to the poor and marginalized. No one sees me. And what's the problem? Well, the problem is we want the recognition. We want to be seen that we serve, and we want people to notice that. But here's the great news again about the the servanthood of Jesus and what he's done for us and then what that enables us to do is that when you serve Jesus in the way that he served his disciples out of a place of security in his relationship with the Father, you do it for the king and you know that he's pleased with you already and you're not doing it on your own, you're not alone and then you're working for the king. So your parenting becomes something where it's like, you know what, I'm doing this for King Jesus. It doesn't matter that for Five years, 10 years, 15 years, my kids ignore me and they don't care about all the sacrifices I've made. I'm serving my boss who is horrible to me and that doesn't matter because I'm serving Jesus heartily unto the Lord, not as a man pleaser and it doesn't matter if I get the promotion, it doesn't matter if I get the email clap back, it doesn't matter what happens. I serve the king who served me. And I could go on and on and on. I, I, I told someone earlier this week, I uh, lived in a house with 14 other college guys when I was younger, which is not a good idea to do um, because they're really messy, right? And it used to make me so mad. Like if you imagine this, there'd be the sink, they'd be piled up with dishes, right? They've all left. There's no mom there anymore. It's like, there's all the dishes. And I would go out there and I would like, sometimes when I was feeling a little servanty, you know, I would do the dishes or whatever. And I thought, well, maybe this time they'll actually get it, you know, and this time it'll change, and they didn't, and then sometimes I would do the same thing and pile the dishes up, I got to the point where, like, I I had a plate, a bowl, a knife, a fork, and a spoon, and a cup, and I'd keep them in my room, and I'd just have my own, and wash my own, like, on top of the dirty dishes, I'd, like, wash my own cup and plate, and just bring back to my room, so I didn't have to do that. We keep records of our service to justify ourselves or be recognized, but Jesus went to the cross in a way that Initially, not even his own disciples recognize. And we think that we're better, I deserve better. God, why is this my lot in life, so to speak? We want to be significant, and the whole time, Jesus, back to John 13, is saying like, hey, if I, your Lord and Master, have done this for you, then do that for one another. Well, um, let's look at our last point, and that is to wrap this all up, It describes a life together here in John 13. That's a life that is living, shaped to serve. Okay, I'm gonna read John 13, 15 to 17. It says this. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant's not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Right? So in all that Jesus has been doing as our great God and King to come humbly and serve, he says, I'm doing this not 
out of any sense other than this is who I have done, this is who I've been forever in eternity. Father serving son, son serving spirit, spirit serving father and son. And now I've come and I've overflowed that to you. And then what I'm saying is I want you to do that with one another. And by the way, that's hard to do if you don't identify your community. Obviously, you have your family. That's step one. But then an identifiable group, just like Father, Son, Spirit, like that's why we have the Calvary communities. Like identify who are you serving. It's easy in your heart to say, yeah, I'll serve anyone at any time, any place. (laughs) Then you live with people. Then you're in relationship with people. And so Jesus is saying in all of that, that I want to be and I have given you to be your identity as it is mine as a community, so I also want it to be an example to you, an example. He says, I want you to put this down so that you'll never forget what it means to be a servant. So I'm gonna show you a couple slides here because this is what we do. Um, We typically want to live our lives to go higher and higher and higher so that we can boast in our glory and say, um, look at what I've done. But Jesus is saying in this next slide, this is what he did. He came and he died. He became even dependent and broken and needy and then he was raised from the dead and that this is the example. Paul Miller in his book, J-Curve, he describes this as the way of discipleship and the way you should expect your life to be. You should expect to go through constant shapings of dying to rise, serving and being broken for the benefit of other people. That's what the life of Jesus looks like. So we have those two ways to be shaped. Now, just be honest for a second. Which one do you like better? I know which one I like better, to put the one with both of them up there. I like the one with the straight arrow straight up. I don't want to go low to go high. But Jesus is saying that's exactly what I'm doing for you. I'm an example. My life is a cruciform image of what your life should be not just individually, but as a community, if you're going to walk in my ways. It takes radical shape in the teachings of Jesus all throughout the Bible, places like Matthew 25, where he says that on the day of judgment, what's gonna happen is that actually Jesus is gonna judge and say like, who were the ones who took care of the poor, the marginalized, the prisoners, the hungry? Those are gonna be the ones that he says, enter into my father's kingdom. And they're gonna be so clueless in one sense because they didn't do it from wrong motivation. They say, Lord, when did we serve you? And he'll say, when you serve the least of these. When you serve the least of these. And so all I want you to do as we get ready to close up is I want you to think about your environment right now. Your family, hopefully a community group, community you're a part of, your neighborhood, and ask these questions. Who are the people that God has called me to serve? Some of you might think about your wife, your husband, your kids, some people, you know, that neighbor has some yard work that needs to be done, and all I'd say is like a lot of us just miss these things, but they're all right there all the time. A member of your church or your community group, there's people that are struggling with, maybe everything looks good on the outside, but you know the relationships are, are difficult, maybe God has called you to go and be a mentor to them, I don't know a ride to school for somebody, anything. There's opportunities all over the place, and I'd say that the one hindrance for us is just not knowing God the Son well enough. When you know God the Son as part of the Trinity and take your identity in him, when we do that together, 
we're free from all the distractions and all the things and all the boastings and all the strivings to be someone and we're free in order to serve other people. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, I, I told you that brief little story about my daughter and I, I just say that like, um, thankfully she's maybe just learning for the first time that I had a bad heart, heart attitude about it. But um, <laughs> um, one of the things that blessed me later was she said like, that was a special time for her. She would like, be there and up against my shoulder and my neck and she would smell me and she always remembered that smell of my, my cologne or whatever. God used that suffering to bring us close and my service to do that and, 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 and the whole time my heart's just like, oh man, I'm tired of walking up these stairs. So I want you to think about that. I want you to think as we get ready for communion today, how can you thank Jesus for serving you and freeing you from your sin? what he did in humbling himself and, and dying on the cross to take all that you were. And he became your sin when he had done nothing wrong. He took your identity and gives you his identity. How can you thank him for that? And then who are you serving as your king right now? Are you actually saying, you know what, Jesus, you are the king and you serve me and I will serve in a community of believers and I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Pray that dangerous prayer. Say, God, forgive me for not even having that servant attitude, and please, would you, here's my hands up, take whatever you want me to do. Maybe you'll end up in the Congo like the O'Briens. I don't know. That's the prayer that people don't want to pray, but it could happen, and it could be glorious. And then finally, say, are you fully submitted to Jesus as king? As you prepare your hearts for communion, Noah's going to come out and lead us in that. As you prepare your hearts for communion, ask those questions. Say, God, where do you want me to be in community like the Trinity serving your people? Where do you want me to serve others outside of this religious realm and show your kingdom and show how good it is like you did?